Let's pray before we begin. Father God, we do ask that we would lay our hearts before you as fertile soil, Lord, as you know, as David taught last week. Lord, may we be fertile soil. May we not let the distractions or worries of the world choke out your word. May we be vigilant that we do not let Satan come and snatch away the word. Lord, may our soil be deep and fertile. May we listen uh, to your words um, humbly. And Lord, may I get out of the way with my words and focus on your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So, a little a little thing for those of you who take notes and are as anal retentive as I am. Um, the uh, the audience of the I gave David stuff in the wrong order, so I'm going to skip over who the audience of the parable is and get to that at a later date. So if we get further down, don't think you missed anything. Um, I just gave David the wrong the wrong order of notes. But uh, as we address this parable today, I think it's important for us to know what the context of it is. Um. <clears throat> Jesus has just told another parable about a foolish uh, landowner who has who didn't think about his life ending and had stored up uh, much grain in, in his silos and was talking about building more silos and was living his life with no thought that the end could come. And then the end comes for him. Um, this is kind of really on the front of my mind, I had a friend of mine this past week passed away out of the blue at the age of 38. You know, and, and you know, how often do we take for granted that we have tomorrow? I know I do. And I think that's one of the things that is the context of this these parables we're going to discuss this morning. Like I said, it comes on the heels of not assuming that you have tomorrow in your own life. But in these particular parables, we're also going to address the fact that we don't need to assume that we have tomorrow before Jesus comes. Because we don't know when He will come. And we'll see that in the text. But So this was preceded by Jesus telling the one parable. And what He's doing... What's coming up after this parable is he's transitioning his ministry to get ready for his own crucifixion. And he's trying to get his disciples ready for a time that they're going to have to be steadfast and they're going to have to be vigilant, that they're going to have to be prepared because the the events of Acts is coming. And they need to be prepared. They need to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to come. They need to be prepared for persecution to come. They need to be prepared for the ministry opportunities that God's going to give them. And ultimately, they need to be prepared for His second coming. So our passage starts with this. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Normally, I'm a big fan of the way the ESV translates phrases. Um, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. I feel like if you're like me, when I've read this in the past, 
I read it as a very passive be prepared. Just kind of like always be prepared. Always be ready. You know, the whole Boy Scout, I'll do my best to do my duty. You know, always be prepared. You know, and, and, and passive pictures come to my mind. Like, pack an extra snack for lunch in case you get hungry. Or, always fill the car up uh, when you get down to a quarter of a tank. Because you never know when you might have to, like, leave in the middle of the night to, you know, run somebody to the emergency room. Um, you know, lay out your clothes for tomorrow so you don't wake up the whole house while you're rummaging through the closets or, or whatever. And, but that's not what we see here. We don't see a passive being ready. I mean, the, the text literally is, gird your loins. And I mean, that just, that just sounds like a William, William Wallace thing to say. You know, I, as a matter of fact, when I read, gird your loins, I picture Mel Gibson. They may take our land, but they'll never take our freedom. That's the worst accent ever. But, but I picture, I picture that kind of a aggressive being prepared. And, and our life truth for today is this. Be ready in this text is not a passive position. It's literally gird your loins, which is an action verb that means to be prepared to run, to work, or to fight. Girding your loins was literally, you know, you think back in the Bible days, they wore these like robe, toga kind of things. And girding your loins was literally grabbing the back hem, pulling it up between your legs and stuffing it in your belt, basically turning it into shorts. You know, it it wasn't like, hey, I'm coming up to a puddle, let me hike up the hem just a little bit. I mean, this was getting ready for battle. This was getting ready for work. This was getting ready to run. Okay, that was like falling down. Um, so when we look at this being ready, this girding of our loins, this is more like your wife is in, you know, the last days of her pregnancy. She's having labor pains and you prepare a go bag so that when you have to go to the hospital, all you have to do is grab the bag and you have your stuff. You know, this is... You know, you're walking in a parking lot at night and you feel like somebody's creeping on you and you slide your keys in between your fingers like you have claws in case you need to defend yourself. This is an active being ready. So as we read through the rest of this passage and we talk about how this affects us spiritually, I want our picture of being ready is we're ready for action. We're not ready just in case. We're not ready passively. We're not, you know, ready sitting on the couch watching TV. We're ready, you know, standing at the door. So the text continues, Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast, so that they may open the door for him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at a table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. I like the fact that it's it's blessed are those servants and then again it's blessed are those servants. It's like, I mean, Jesus wants us to understand like being vigilant is going to result in, you know, blessing upon blessing. 
But let's be careful when we picture the, the master being away at the wedding. Because we're probably all familiar with this. Like, if, if Heather and I go to a friend's wedding and maybe the older kids are watching the younger kids, we're kind of like, hey, we'll be back in a couple hours. We'll be back at 10 o'clock tonight or, or whatever. And so, so they know, hey, we're going to have the kids for a couple hours and then mom and dad have them back. Not so back in the Bible days. Back in the Bible days, a wedding feast would be three, four, five, six, seven days. And then they also didn't have their car to get there quickly. So going to a wedding feast could be four days. It could be two and a half weeks. And so, and they didn't have the cell phone. Like when I tell my kids, hey, we're leaving Canaan Acres headed home. And they knew the, the, the master wasn't calling ahead to tell his servants he was coming home. So so that's that's the picture we have here is they literally had no idea when their master was returning. So like on day three, they were prepared. And on day four, they were prepared. And on day five, they were prepared. And on day six, it's kind of like, okay. I mean, we've been prepared like three days in a row. I mean, do we really? And then the, the, there's that temptation to relax. And not only could... He come back any day, but Jesus talks about him coming in the second or third watch. So he might be coming at 10 o'clock. He might be coming at 2 in the morning. He might be coming at 4 in the morning. And if any of y'all have ever worked the graveyard shift, it's hard to focus and it's hard to stay awake. But the expectation is those servants working the the garden, the graveyard shift, would be ready. And they would be, they would wait with preparation. And they would wait with anticipation. And it begs the question, do we wait for our master with anticipation? Do we wait for our master with preparation? Or are we tempted to slack off? Are you like me? Like when I became saved as a teenager, I'm like, Lord, I want you to return. But after I get married. okay, let me let me have a kid. You know, let me let me do these things. Then you can come back. Or do we truly wait for anticip- with anticipation? And one thing that has always stuck out with me is my eighth grade social studies teacher, Miss Boyer, would always say the thing that confuses me about Christians is they act all excited about being saved, but none of them is in a hurry to see Jesus and get to heaven. So do we truly wait with anticipation? But how about this? When the master returns in this parable, he turns the tables. He turns the table on the faithful servants and he blesses them. He comes to serve them. You know, I don't know about you, but like when I've been gone on a trip, I want to come home. I don't even want to unload the car. I just want to, I just want to lay down on the couch for a few minutes or veg out on like my phone. The last thing I want to do is serve anybody. But here's this master gone from, you know, a week or so and he comes back and not only does he not be like, okay, servants, take care of everything. He turns the table and serves his servants because they are faithful. And I see the picture in this parable of when Jesus in his last days made himself up like a servant, knelt before his disciples and washed their feet. And I will tell you, I think I think most of you, I've shared with this one time or another, 
But washing of feet is like one of the most disturbing thing to me. Like I've had a couple situations where I was in a ceremony where like they ceremony washed my feet and like I just I had to close my eyes and pray. But back in Jesus's day, Jesus was washing people who had open sandals, who walked on dirt roads where animals on those dirt roads defecated. So like like worst case scenario of washing feet. But but Jesus did that. Jesus' disciples followed him for three years, and he turned the tables on them. Peter was like, Oh, no, I should be washing your feet, and 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 Jesus says, No. But the other picture I see in this parable is this when he talks about the faithful servants being seen in the second or third watch. I remember when Jesus went to the garden to pray, and he asked his disciples to keep watch. And he came back and they were asleep. So Jesus was trying to prepare his disciples with this parable. And I think Jesus is trying to prepare us. The passage continues with another parable. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Imagine if you or I knew a robber was coming to our house at a specific time. We wouldn't leave. We would be prepared. We'd lock all the doors. We'd check all the windows. We'd stay awake. We'd invite over Terry Benton. (laughs) But we would definitely live differently. We'd call the police and say, hey, at such and such time, y'all need to be here. But the same way, if we knew at what time the Lord was going to return and we knew what time we were going to die, how differently would we live our lives? What do you and I take for granted? Paul gives us this warning in Romans, in chapter 2, verse 4. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You know, the fact that, that God has waited to return, to allow us time to repent, to allow us time to disciple, to allow us time to evangelize, as he waits in his patience and forbearance, it's easier and easier for us to be like, oh, well, he didn't come back yesterday. He's probably not come back today either. And, and Jesus knew that his disciples, that we could be lulled into a false sense of, security is not the word I'm looking for, but just in a, maybe even an apathy. And so he gives this warning that He's going to come like this thief in the night. That the time will be unexpected. The passage continues. Peter then asked the question, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord responded with a question. You always got to love when you ask a question, somebody responds with a question. Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over the household to give them a portion of the food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him all over his possessions. So the intended audience of this parable is this. 
the one who wants to be faithful and wise. If we seek to have the Lord refer to us as a, a good and faithful servant, if we seek the Lord to call us wise, then we need to be vigilant. We're not going to accidentally wake up one day and be prepared. We're not going to step backwards into preparation. But we have to be vigilant. We have to be ready. We have to be found waiting faithfully. The passage continues. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of the servant will come on a day he does not expect to him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him to pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Again, we see this picture of the faithful servant being rewarded and a warning against the servant who would presume, since my master has not returned yet, he's not returning, so I shall live the way I want to live. And we're going to come, we're going to come back to this, this severe beating here in a minute. But I want to ask this question. How do I remain vigilant? How do I gird my loins spiritually? Now Peter, who received this parable from the Lord, this is what he said. It was in our, our first text this morning. 1 Peter 4, 7-11 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sakes of your prayers. Above all... Keep loving one another earnestly since the love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied graces. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how do we remain self-controlled? How do we remain sober-minded? How do we love one another? And how do we do that earnestly? How do we show hospitality and do it without grumbling? How are we to be good stewards of God's gifts? And how do we do this when our flesh, the world, and Satan is at war against us? I shared with our GC Friday night something that I guess I'd never really paid attention to in the Genesis account of uh, Adam and Eve falling. And it was this. When Satan came uh, to Eve... He wanted to sow doubt. He sowed three seeds of doubt. The first was he wanted Eve to question God's word. He said, did he really say? Then he wanted her to question God's kindness. And was, you know, he's withholding this thing from you because he knows if you partake of this fruit, then you will have knowledge of good and evil and you will be wise and you will be like God himself. 
And then he sowed the doubt of her questioning his authority. If you do this thing, you won't really die. And I feel like when it comes to being vigilant, being prepared for Christ's return, there's a lot of voices out there saying, did God really say? There's a lot of voices saying, you know, if God comes back today, then you're going to miss out on this thing. You know, there's there's people saying, you know, you know, God hasn't come back. Why, why, is, why is he going to come back? You know, we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. I mean, there's, there's all of these voices of doubt. So how do we remain vigilant? And there were three things I felt like I needed to share this morning. This is not an all-encompassing list. There are other ways to be vigilant. But there are three specific ways that I felt for us this morning of how we remain vigilant. The first way is we remain vigilant in prayer. Colossians 4.2 says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 6.18 Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keeping alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints. Do not be anxious about any. Oops, sorry, I just jumped into another verse. <laughs> Philippians 4 6 through 7. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. Just like the man who said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief. We need to be vigilant in prayer because our flesh, the world, and Satan are at war against us. They want to lull us into false senses of security. They want us to question God's goodness. They want us to question God's truthfulness. We want, they want us to question God's authority. And so we need to be vigilant in prayer that we can do what God calls of us the way God calls us to do it. I like how I like how the Peter passage closes in the last couple of verses where it says, as each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very graces. And it says, who speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Not, not what I want to speak, but what God wants me to speak. And whoever serves, serve as one who serves by the strength God supplies. I mean, there are so many times I think we grow weary in well-doing. And we need to depend on God's strength. And we need to do it to God's glory. The second way we remain vigilant is this. We must remain vigilant in the Word. 2 Timothy 3.16-17 All Scripture is God-breathed by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So which Scripture, which scripture is God-breathed? All Scripture. Not just the red letters, not just the parts we like, but all Scripture. And 
in contrast to Eve's experience being tempted by Satan where he wanted her to question God's goodness and question God's authority and question God's word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, how did he respond each time Satan tried to get him to question God's plan, God's will, God's way? He answered, but it is written. He answered the scripture. So if we're going to be vigilant in our waiting for the Lord, we've got to know the word. I think this analogy has been shared multiple times in different scenarios, but you know, if you study to be one who looks for counterfeit money, you don't study counterfeit money. You don't study the different ways that money is counterfeit. You study the real thing so that you can eat to the point that you are so familiar with the real bill, the real currency that you notice any slight imperfections. And it's the same way. If we're going to be vigilant, we don't need to get distracted in, you know, chasing down this lie or that lie. But if we know the truth, then we will know the lies. So first we need to be vigilant in prayer. The second thing is we need to be vigilant in the word. The third thing is we need to remain vigilant in fellowship. Romans 15 has a beautiful picture of what gospel-centered fellowship looks like. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good and build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So what happens when we are in a fellowship where we're focusing on the endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may in one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What a beautiful picture of what a gospel fellowship is to look like. And where, how does that help us? To remain vigilant. One of them that stuck out to me was this. That we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. You know, I, I, I think I've, this is another thing I think I've shared from time to time. But there are times that there are things that I have been dealing with. You know, it feels like for over a decade. And I've been bringing to people of this church to pray for for over a decade and it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere and sometimes I'm just like you know what I'm not going to ask anybody to pray today I'm tired of being that guy I'm tired of I'm tired of of burdening everybody with my need but you know what's never happened I've never gone to one person in this church and said hey I need you to pray for my son and then go again 
And I know I'm not the only person who has had something that they have been burdened with for a long time. And I bet you if everybody who has had a need, whether it's medically, whether it's spiritually, whether it's family, I bet you there's not one person in here who would testify, you know what, the, the, you know, everything was good till the fifth time I asked somebody to pray for that. And they were like, no, that, no not today. But that, that's the thing. That, that's how, that's one of the ways we are vigilant because when I want to give up, if I'm in a healthy community, there are people I'm surrounded with who are not going to let me give up. You know, if you want to give up, you are surrounded with people in here who want to come beside you and help you not to give up. But then, There's a little more active part of this fellowship and being remaining vigilant in fellowship. And that's in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you. I'm sorry. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And so the other way we remain vigilant is when we're in a healthy community of believers, you know, when I start not living vigilantly, when I'm not living ready well, there are going to be people who come and say, hey, hey, Kevin, I've noticed this in you. I'm concerned because I'm seeing this. And look, and that's a, that's a very... A vulnerable place for us to be, but but that's part of how we remain vigilant. Is when we start to live like the unworthy servant, there are other people around us say, "Hey, you're you're not you're not living well in light of the gospel." Second Corinthians. 13, 9 through 11. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not tearing down. So the heart, when we're living in this community, when we need to bring things to one another's attention, the goal is for building up and not tearing down. And that's the thing. It's very hard to be in that type of relationship where you feel like somebody's just picking at you. But when you know the community you're in, the reason somebody addresses something is because they want to build you up and not tear you down. So back to... Back to verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So here's another life truth. While those entrusted with much will be held to a higher account, we are all still accountable for what we do. Um, I'll, I'll give you an example. One of my children was taking their driving test and they did fantastic um 
did fantastic. But when the instructor came back, the instructor walked over to me. It's an older lady. Mr. Small, I need to talk to you. She goes, I want to let you know your child did a fantastic job driving except for one thing. And she gave me the scenario. And she goes, did you ever tell your child what to do in the scenario? And I was like, I'll be honest with you. I didn't. And then she proceeded to lecture me for literally 10 minutes about, about why I did not prepare my child for this particular scenario. And she was, she was like, this is not on your child. This is on you. And she's like, you know, because this was, could have been a dangerous situation, blah, blah, blah. And it, I mean, she, like, she wasn't mean or anything. I'm like, but she was legitimately just, she was just driving home the fact, I mean, she just took her job really seriously. And she just drove home the fact that this was, this was on you. And I should have known better, and so I was held to a higher account. Now, my child, who didn't know, still got points counted off on the test, even though they didn't know. So, to me, that was a picture there where, like, I should have known better, and I received a really severe tongue lashing. But my child was complimented, but still didn't get a perfect score on their driving test. So there was still consequence there as well. And so so that, that's what we want to understand is like, even though those who have been entrusted with much will be held to a high standard, all of us will be held accountable. You know, Paul Paul tells us in Romans that God has made everything known in, in just looking at nature. And so no one is without an excuse. And so... I have this one last challenge for you guys and gals. Am I being faithful in what the Lord has entrusted me with? This includes my roles as parent, as spouse, if I lead a ministry, or any area where I have a sphere of influence. And I probably didn't leave you enough blanks for all that. But am I... Am I being faithful in my roles as parent, spouse, if I lead any type of ministry, or any area that have a sphere of influence? I mean, think about that. You know, there there is a time the Lord is going to return. If the Lord has blessed you with a family... Are you and I being faithful to make sure our family is waiting well? That our family is waiting vigilant? That our family is going to be prepared? Is our family waiting like this? Passively? Or is our family waiting like this? Expectantly? If you've been given the opportunity to disciple an individual or a group of people is your focus to make sure that person or group of people is ready for the for Christ's return are you making sure that they are able to wait with vigilance with expectation with preparedness even in the areas we have Indirect influence, the places we work, you know, the, the sports teams or, 
you know, the theaters or the hobbies, you know, our jobs, you know, just hanging out in the community. Are, are we living our lives in a way where we are uplifting and encouraging those around us to be prepared? Or are we just passively going along and enjoying things? Have we forgotten that our master is returning? Sam and the worship team, if you'll come up. I, I, I want us, I want us to, to ponder on this question. Well, these two questions. Number one, am I waiting well? Am I waiting with vigilance? Am I waiting with expectation? Am I waiting with preparedness? You know, am I struggling in my time in the Word? Am I struggling in my time in prayer? Am I struggling with my desire to be in Christian community? If, if that's the case, when the prayer partners come up here, they would love to pray for your time in the Word and pray for your time in prayer, your, your time in fellowship. But then the next question is, what have you been entrusted with? Who have you been entrusted with? Who have I been entrusted with? What have I been entrusted with? And are we being faithful with that? Are we being faithful with our families? Are we being faithful with our ministries? Are we being faithful with our friends? Are we being faithful with our coworkers? Are we being faithful with the people at the gym or the people at the park? Or the people, you know, wherever our sphere of influence is. The Lord wants us to wait with vigilance. Now, obviously, I, I called out a couple things, but if you need anything, prayer, um, the, the prayer partners will be glad to, to pray with you. But as the prayer partners will go ahead and come up and the sound praise, just as the Lord lays it on your heart, I would encourage you um, to take advantage of,